uncomfortable conversations that I would have to have. I would call brands out and say, so you're saying that the black audience doesn't matter to you? Because in a lot of these cases, Ebony's reader base and subscriptions were a lot bigger than a lot of these niche publications that they were loaning to. Celebrities would be on covers for niche fashion publications that would have a very small readership, but Ebony's multi-million readership was way more and they're not loaning to them for the same celebrity. Or when they would loan, they would come around and be like, okay, we can give you some looks, but you're giving me like the scraps. You're not giving me the runway look. You're giving me like the commercial pieces that no one's using. You're giving me, you know, not cover caliber stuff. Marielle Bobo is one of my favorite people in the fashion world. She's an editorial and creative genius, but most of all, she has a heart of gold. And she went to Howard University. H-U, you know, had to do it, guys. Bear with me. (laughs) The moments when I thought about giving up or I had a rough day, just like Lena Horne in The Wiz, Marielle would share a personal story reminding me to believe in myself and keep going. She's worked for many publications throughout her career from Women's Wear Daily, Allure, OK Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Essence Magazine, Ebony, I mean, the list goes on. You may have also seen her work as the editorial director for Aisha Curry's AC Brands and newly launched Sweet July Magazine and website. I had the privilege of catching up with Marielle to revisit her fashion journey, the lessons learned, and the importance of empowering the next generation. Enjoy. <gasps> oh my goodness, Mariel Bobo. <laughs> oh, you look gorgeous. Look at that skin. Look at that hair. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Thank you. How's it going? I I haven't seen you in forever. I know. It's been a minute. Oh my God. The eyebrows look great. Like, oh, Oh, I I have like nothing going on here. Oh, whatever. Even on your worst day. Excuse (laughs) me. All right. Well, thank you for coming on a fashion moment. I have been a fan of yours for so long and your your work ethic and just the way you style is phenomenal. So I'm really excited Aww. to like get into it and see what's going on. No, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm so excited about you and the podcast and everything that you've been doing. And I'm so honored that you would consider me and think of me for this. So I'm Get out of here. Mariel, I can't with you. Get out of here. <laughs> You're up. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show. You know, I, it's so interesting because I thought I knew your store I thought I did and then you know I really read through your bio and I said whoa 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 where where did this part come from like I had no (laughs) idea so you know it was really really um just like fascinating to me it's just like every day like you're you're learning something new but where did you grow up and and, you know and where did this love for fashion come from like who are you, Marielle? Yes, Who are you? you want all the tea. <laughs> so um, it's inspirational, like, you know, our stories and just sort of how we progress through life and where, you know, 
people look at themselves and they're like, you know, how can, you know, like they have these dreams. And, and when you see someone who has this amazing story of overcoming certain challenges and just, you know, who they are in general, and we'll talk about that later as it relates to diversity in the industry, but mm-hmm. it, it can really help. So I appreciate let's dig into your story. Like, where are you from? Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, and I, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, so I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, and I, I had a pretty diverse background growing up. Um, my mom is, is a native New Yorker. So she's American, grew up here in New York. Um, but then my dad is Haitian. So I grew up in a very kind of multicultural household within these kind of two worlds of very kind of like, you know, um, classic kind of black American household, but then these like deep rooted Caribbean um, principles and upbringing as well. So I kind of had the best of both worlds and it, it kind of informed a lot of my perspective even later on um, with how I approached my career and fashion. Um, I always have kind of looked through things through a very multicultural lens. Um, and it started, you know, really with, with my upbringing of having a dad that was Haitian and a mom that, you know, was like had a very classic African-American um, upbringing, but that definitely fueled a lot of um, who I am today. Um, so yeah, so started out in Brooklyn. Um, I went to um, Howard University, HU. HU, Yes. Went to Howard University for undergrad. Um, I always loved fashion. Um, I, you know, was first kind of introduced to fashion as a kid, um, going to, you know, the hair salon, you know, that would be where I first kind of saw the magazines. I'd see the, my Vogue magazines and Elle magazines and the Glamours and Harper's Bazaar. So that was kind of where I first got to see fashion publications. And then the magazines that were in my house were kind of those storied heritage black publications like Essence and Ebony and Jet Magazine. So I, I always kind of grew up, you know, with this passion for both kind of seeing myself in publications like Essence and Ebony, um, but not necessarily seeing myself in the fashion publications that I loved. So, you know, I would look at the fashion publications and kind of that was where I first got introduced to a lot of the high-end designers and kind of the dream and all the grandeur of fashion and, and you know, all the fantasy of these really over-the-top shoots. Um, and then Ebony and Essence were more lifestyle publications, so fashion wasn't as much at the forefront, but there were places where I saw beautiful Black women who looked like me and saw our stories and our culture and our art and everything celebrated. So that was something kind of early on that sparked this passion in me to wanting to work in fashion and definitely wanting wanting to work in magazines. Um, And then that kind of set me on the course um, with what I would later, you know, kind of go on to do. But I knew that I always wanted to work in fashion and I always was a writer. um, So I wanted to do something that could kind of combine fashion, but with storytelling and journalism. So, um, yeah, that was kind of where it started. Well, what did you study at Howard? Like, were you practicing the writing there? Yes. So at Howard, I was a journalism major. So, um, yeah, so I was a journalism major. And then they had just kind of introduced this fashion merchandising program there. So it was super new, very small program. um, But I picked that as my minor. So I was a fashion, so I was a journalism major. um, So I did print journalism. And it definitely wasn't magazine journalism. It was like hardcore news reports. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> so, you gotta have it. So, yeah, so like we were, I was like, 
going to all the local community board meetings and covering different districts in DC and talking about politics and what was going on. So it was very like grassroots, like hardcore news reporting. Um, And then at um, in my minor as a fashion merchandising minor, um, I learned more about the business side of fashion. So there were fashion buying courses and there were some entry level, like very um, kind of beginning fashion design courses. So, you know, it was, like I said, it was a very new program. So they didn't have kind of like this fully like, you know, fleshed out program, but it was just a great way to kind of also kind of lean into that passion that I had for fashion and learn about different aspects of the industry while also getting this hardcore news background. So at the time I kind of was trying to piece together how all of these things would come together and <laughs> as far as a career. But later on, all of the tools I can really say that I learned in all those different programs kind of, you know, really helped me and at some point have come to um, come into use later on. Um, after Howard, um, I went to FIT um, and I did the formal kind of fashion merchandising and buying program there as well. And that wow. um, kind of helped me because that was where I, I really got my first job. Um, right out of school. And what was that job, Marielle? Where did you go? Yeah. So I first, so when I was at FIT, all the students there, you have to do an internship. So um, I started out as an intern um, working with Nicole Miller as like a PR, PR intern. And then um, one day the job board at FIT, which was really, really good because they had a lot of faculty that was super, you know, very high, high up in the industry. Um, but yeah, so the uh, the the job board there one day I saw they had a posting for a uh, fashion uh, junior booker at Wilhelmina Models. And I knew I didn't necessarily like have this passion about working necessarily as an agent, but I was just like, it's in fashion. I just want to get in, take it. You know, take it. Once I can get my foot in the door, then I can navigate and make you know connections, and that's what happened. So I, wow. I um, got this job as like a junior booker in um, wow. uh, the, what was a new division that they had formed at the time called W Men. And it was, oh. yeah, so it was for like older male models. What? <laughs> it was, but all, older was like 35 and up. So these were like, yes. the, these were like the mature, the mature, the refined, the, 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 refined the refined gentlemen. And um, I would have been like, ah, oh, use the matters. Okay. <laughs> who, who's single, you know, yes, recently yes. divorced. <laughs> I know I'm a mess. <laughs> no, but yes. Yeah, so, so, so I had this um, opportunity to work in this new division they had formed called W Men. It was um, representing guys who were thirty-five and over, wow. and it was great because it was a new division there. So I got to do a lot more than someone that was entry level normally would. Um, so I was doing everything from recruiting models, going to conventions, and, and finding wow. new models. I was, you know, negotiating rates for their jobs. I was. Um, pretty much touching every facet of the industry, working with production companies on castings, um, working with editors at magazines for castings for their photo shoots. And um, eventually that's how I then got my first job in, in print and magazines was from that job at, um, at Wilhelmina. Was it a relationship that you had with one of exactly right relationships yeah. are so important All like how did it, how did it happen where you're like hey um uh, well what happened what happened <laughs> how, do you, how do you slide in there that's the well, question 
Well, what had happened was um, <laughs> one of the bookers that I worked with at Wilhelmina, she actually was a, a fellow booker, but she worked in a different division. She worked in the plus size women's division. Wow. And she left Wilhelmina and went to Allure magazine. And she was one of the bookings editors at Allure. So she basically was helping to, to book the models and recruit talent for, um, for photo shoots, from photographers to stylists and models. So she left Wilhelmina and went to Allure and she knew that I always wanted to work in magazines. And so one wow. day she heard that they were uh, looking to hire a fashion assistant. And um, you know she reached out and was like, oh, like they're looking to hire a fashion assistant. Um, wow. You know, Here's who you should send your resume to if you're interested. And so I did. I followed up. I sent it to the creative director, um, Paul Cavaco, who who was um, the lead there at the time. And um, I interviewed and I got the job in in the closet as a fashion assistant. And it was very like, (laughs) you know, you know, grassroots, like very Devil Wears Prada. Like it was very Devil Wears Prada. Um, But I found a great mentor there, there and the creative director who really kind of um, just taught me a lot and created a lot of opportunities for me there. So that kind of set me on from, from that path. That's amazing. You know, it's so funny when that movie came out, they're like, is it really like that? I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I, I, you know, especially for me, like I wasn't, you know, back then Condé Nast, first of all, you don't just get in at Condé Nast, you know, especially back then, you know, you need to be connected. You need to know someone to even hear about the jobs. And then even if you hear about the job from someone, they may already have three other candidates in the running who are connected. A lot of the girls that had those jobs were daughters of, you know, designers, the niece of a certain fashion editor. They were connected. They were on the inside. And here I was, I was like, this girl from Flatbush, Brooklyn, like didn't know anyone. (laughs) Before Um, gentrification, y'all. This is before gentrification, gentrification, okay. (laughs) And and then also, you know, once I got in, it was kind of, I was very naive. I kind of went into it just excited and eager and ready to like take on the world. But then the first day I walked in, especially back then, I mean, there's a lot more black editors and, and just black, black, you know, women and men now in publications. But back then, this is in 2000, you know, so I started that in 2000. So this is 20 years ago. And when I started then, like I was a fashion assistant and I was like the only fashion assistant that I saw of color. The black people that worked there were um, people in the mailroom, people at the front desk. Um, You didn't see anyone um, that were editors or the work that actually touched the magazine and that were helping to shape the content and the stories. So when I actually walked into that building and saw that it was only me and all the black, uh, you know, uh, the people at the front desk and security, like, hey, all like, hey, of hey, sir, we see you. And I'm like, I'm just a measly assistant. I'm not even nope. like anyone with power that has a say in anything. But they, there was like, they were just like, yes, like one of us is here. So there's a sense of like, wow, I'm doing it. But then. I learned quickly that I didn't, wasn't going to fit in, you know, like I remember walking into that elevator for the first time and like these girls, these assistants Woo! were like head to toe, Prada looked down off the runway, oh like designer bags. Like I'm here with my like door knocker earrings, ah! so Brooklyn, like my little outfit that I put together that was cute, but it wasn't a designer outfit because I couldn't afford right. it. Yeah, I didn't have rich parents or whatever, you know? And so you know, I quickly kind of went into this mode of like, wait a minute, do I, will I fit in here? Am I even going to be able to succeed here? I'm not like these girls. 
you know, you walk into that cafeteria and that Condé Nast cafeteria was like walking into a fashion show. Ah, and like, what I a place to people watch. Yeah, you're just kind of like, you know, you're in awe, but then you're also kind of doubting yourself. You know, here I am, like 21, 22, fresh out of school, first job, doesn't know anyone, don't see anyone that looks like me. And then I'm at, at Allure, which is a huge brand um, that focuses on beauty, but I'm the only woman of color, the only black woman that was working there. One of the few, there was myself and then one other, one other black woman that was there at the time. Um, and, you know, so that, so that puts a lot on you where you're just kind of like, what, what's my place here? What's my voice here? Not really feeling empowered. But I was lucky because the creative director, um, Paul Cavaco, he just like early on, just it's like he saw me it was like don't worry like you have a voice here you're gonna you're gonna do well I'm gonna advocate for you you know he's your Nigel yeah he like yeah like he he showed me the robes he taught me how to be a good editor how to style how to be a visionary and come up with your stories how to approach fashion beyond just you know the clothes and more about the storytelling and the emotion that it can invoke and um, he was just very humble. And that was also reassuring to see because a lot of the editors, they were mean. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, they were mean. They, they, were, they were very, you know, they, they talked down to you. It wasn't a very nurturing environment back then, especially no. for someone young and coming in from as kind of an outsider. And, um, you know, but he, he was just like, you know, he saw me and he empowered me. And, um, he was very humble, you know, wow. um, he's one of the founders of KCD, which is one of the top public re- fashion, public relations. Is he? Um, yeah, he's the oh C in KCD, Cavaco. And, you know, this is the top agency that's repped every major brand from Versace and Marc Jacobs, Amazing. Alexander McQueen. And, you know, just very humble. He worked at Vogue, you know, for, for years. And it's just, a, he's a famed, really celebrated editor. And you see him, he was so humble. Like he would walk around in his gray New Balance sneakers and same <laughs> Levi's and white button down shirt. He wore that every day. When I would be trekking home in the middle of the night, he would be the lot, he would be there late. He would work late. And um, he took the subway, which back then, like those editors had black cars that waited for yeah. them. And so he was very approachable and humble. And so I, I thought about that and I was like, okay. So there's a way to be in this industry where you can, there is room to, you know, be nice, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. to work in fashion and be nice and also be humble. Cause I never was a person that was very like much in the forefront. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who likes to be behind the scenes and he was very much that way and it, it didn't prevent him from having success. So that showed me early on that I, there was a space for me in, in this wow. industry. Wow. I, I love that. Uh, just. Hello, everyone. Not everyone in fashion is mean. There are a lot of folks who are, but not everyone is. I, you know, that was actually, believe it or not, one of the first lessons that Daisy, rest her soul, um, you know, I'm like, <laughs> get a little teary because she's so great. Yeah, um, we, were, we were at Howard together. You know, we were there at the same time. We were there together. So, like, seeing her journey and how she came up on her path you know, was, was meant a lot too, you know, kind of cheer each other on. We we came out at the same time and kind of navigated our way, you know, through the industry. 
Yeah. And just for those of you who don't know, Daisy Llewellyn, you know, she passed away, but she was a fashion expert. uh, One of the first black women I had ever seen along with Marielle, like on the magazine side, I was like, Oh my God, there's black people here. It's a miracle. And they're nice, (laughs) like actually nice people. So she always said, be nice to the person sweeping up at night because you never know. They might need to let you in if you're working late (laughs) all the way up to the top. You know, you never know. And also the interns you work with, the people like you never know where people are going to end up later. Like some of these interns are like top editors now. So you know, (laughs) you never know. Yeah, it's true. true. (laughs) So you worked your way up. You were, you know, moving and shaking. So I, I have to ask, you know, what are some of the characteristics that you you would define in a good editor? Because you've had so much practice. You've learned from the greats. You know, you've been up, you've been down. Actually, you've only been up at least from what, <laughs> <laughs> from what I've seen because you work so oh, hard. Sorry. You're working all the time and you do amazing work. But what what are some of those characteristics of a good editor? Like, People think they know what an editor is, but it's like, oh, yeah. you just, you're just not picking out clothes and making people look cute, right? What is it? <laughs> um, I think the biggest part of it is the, the first part is the storytelling. You know, I think as an editor, um, you have to definitely be innately in tune with the audience and um, approach what you do in terms of the storytelling. You know, I think... Um, When it comes to fashion, a lot of times people just kind of get caught up in this idea of like, oh, I just want to just put on this amazing look, um, this runway look on a model or celebrity and just have it be this great moment about the clothes. But I think the stories that really resonate most with the readers and the visuals that most resonate with the readers are ones that are tied to the story. What's the emotion that you want to invoke through this image? Um, What's the story of what happened behind the scenes from the team that you're assembling to create this, this art and this photo to the writer who you're choosing to, you know, have tell the cover story of the subject that you just photographed um, to the, the layout and how it's going to be designed and what you want um, the readers to take from it visually. Um, all of those components come, come go hand in hand. You know, I think a lot of people just look at being a fashion editor and a stylist is just about the clothes, but if those other elements aren't there, you know, it's, it's going to fall flat. So it's more than just about the dress. It's what are we trying to say about the dress? What's the emotion from the model to the celebrity that's wearing, wearing it to, um, to how it's going to be photographed? What's the set going to look like? What is the set design? What's the lighting? Is there a soft lighting or a harsh lighting that we want to use to, you know, further the emotion around this dress and around the, the, the subject wearing it? Um, so all of those things go hand in hand. So I think it's about the storytelling, never lose sight of the storytelling. And that's everything from the visual, if you're a stylist or a photographer to as a writer, you know, what's the story and how does it relate to the reader? You know, being really in tune with the audience and knowing, you know, what do they want to see? What are the stories that are not being told? Um, how can you take your unique perspective and bring it to the pages of the magazine or the website or whatever the media outlet is that you're working for? Um, how can you have it resonate with that audience? Um, and then I think the other piece of it too, is to kind of always keep your ear to the streets and surround yourself with 
young people, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's important. I mean, you know, I, I consider myself like I'm kind of old. I'm like an OG now, 20 oh years. My, oh. And so, and so, but with that, it's like, you know, I, you, I can't stay in a bubble in this bubble of what I think is current and what I think is relevant. It's different when you're growing up in this time and you're experiencing it as a young person in this moment. So I always, you know, from the interns to, you know, entry-level assistants, love to like surround myself by people who are younger than me and ask them like, what are you, what are you into? Like, you know, from talent, you know, a lot of times, you know, it'll be from interns and assistants that are like, this is this is a new artist who's coming up who like we need to have our, on our radar. Like look at what they're doing. Like, and it will be someone that I, that I honestly have never heard of. Cause yeah. I'm 42 and I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm not listening to that. But it's one of those things where it's like, it's not my, like it experiencing it as a 20, like I can remember as a 20 something, experiencing the culture in a way that my mom, you know, we just wouldn't, she was in it, but it's different when you're living it and you're coming up with it and you're seeing those who are of your demographic. And so, um, so I asked the kids, I call them the kids. I asked the kids, I'm like, it's like, what's going on? Like, who are, what are the, you know, who are the people that I need to have on my radar? Like, what are you into? What are you listening to? Even from a fashion perspective, it's street style, looking at what the kids are doing, how they're wearing stuff now. Um, you know, looking at young designers, you know, so I always just try to keep my ear to the streets. And now with social media, it's a lot easier to do that. Um, because I spend a lot of time just like on Instagram, just like, tro- you know, going through the pages and like looking oh, at, so you know, yeah, I'm like finding that's how I find a lot of u- new designers. That's how I find young photographers. That's how I find a lot of young stylists um, is just through Instagram. And wow. young creatives now are because of this platform, they have such an easier means to get their art out there. You know, like when I first started, the internet wasn't a thing. Like if you wanted to work in media, it was, you had to work at a magazine. There were no digital publications. There were no websites. So it's also opened up the door because I feel like for this next generation, they have so many more outlets to go and they don't have to go the traditional magazine route. If anything, now digital is the way, you know, publications, major publications you see are cutting down how many issues they're coming out with their, um, you know, the magazines are getting thinner and thinner and they're beefing up more content digitally. Mm. They're also doing more events and finding other ways to connect with readers beyond just print. So I think, um, you know, it's an exciting time for this new generation because there are so many more opportunities, but yeah, going back to your question, I would say the (laughs) other key thing would be like surround yourself with, you know, young people ask questions, see what people are into, never think you're above any ideas or feedback and um, keep your wow. ear to the streets, That's a like, good one. you know, like keep your ear to the streets, like do whatever you need to do to find out, you know, what's happening, what's next, what's new. Um, and that's how you always stay relevant. That feedback part, that feedback, yes. you're never, I mean, I think that sometimes, and you know, I've had my own struggles, you know, especially when you're perfectionist and you're like, wait, what? This isn't perfect. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> like 
was that, did that come naturally to you or was that something that you sort of learned over time? Like, is that nurture or, or what is it? Nature or nurture? For you? <laughs> um, I think it definitely was nurture, you know, and I think as an artist, as a creative, like you're sensitive, you know, like, <laughs> you, you look at it and you're just like, this is something you made. You had all of this feeling, you had a certain vision of what you wanted or, um, you, you know, it's, you're sensitive about critiques and, um, feedback, but I also welcome it because I, I, I recognize that, you know, the times that I've had stories edited by, you know, great, you know, senior level editors that have taken a story of mine, they just take it to the next level and just make it so much better. You know, um, a good editor can read a story and take that and just keep it still within your voice, but just elevate it and take it to a whole nother level. And there are things wow. that, that they'll see in it that maybe you didn't see. And it makes you a better editor. It makes you a better writer when you have a sec another set of eyes on it to be able to kind of help you navigate. Um, and, and, and with styling, it's the same. Um, you know, when I'm on set, I, you know, there've been times that I've had, um, you know, interns and assistants and I'll ask them, I'll be like, well, what do you think of this dress? Or what do you think we should put with it? And they're like, <gasps> they're like, oh my God, you're asking me what I think. They're uh, like, yeah. you know, but I guess um, traditionally, you know, a lot of, there, you know, there's this fear culture of, you know, kind of like you got to be hazed if you're an intern, you got to be hazed if you're young and you're an assistant and, you know, just shut up and do what you're told and don't ask questions. And I mean, we all have been there. Like I've definitely gone through my crazy things that people have asked me to do, but I do think that, um, that, you know, you also need to be open. And so, um, I, 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 well, I had, I had no problem asking and just saying like, well, what do you think? You know? And a lot of times interns will just be like, oh my God, she's asking yeah. what I think. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I want to know, like, what do you think? You know, what do you, what, what shoe do you think looks good with this dress? What do you think of this outfit? Eh, are you feeling it? Nah. You know, and it, I don't, heart feel, yeah, I don't feel any way about it if they're not feeling it, you know, but it's just, it's just another perspective that I think we can all benefit from just having different perspectives. Like you're not going to grow if you just live in a bubble bubble where you're yeah. just sitting within your own thoughts and what, what you think looks good. It's not about you. If you work in media and storytelling, you're, you're trying to reach others. And I think that you can never really lose sight of that. Podcasts are awesome, and I know you love them too, or you wouldn't be here right now. But have you ever thought about starting your own? Don't worry, you don't have to be a techie, but you do need a bit of guidance so you don't make costly mistakes. My name is Sunny, and I've been podcasting for a long time. I've launched more than 15 profitable podcasts, and I'm the founder of the Independent Podcast Network. My online course, How to Launch Your Profitable Podcast in 30 Days, gives you the keys to the five P's of podcasting, which is everything you need to launch and grow a successful podcast. You get unlimited access to more than 35 videos and dozens of handouts. And when you purchase my course, you're also supporting this awesome podcast because they're getting 50% of the money when you use their special link. How cool is that? Let me help you get started with your podcast. Go to podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That's podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. Wow, that is amazing. You know, it's so funny that you bring up the, oh, I'll just ask them, what do you think? 
Yeah, it's um, like, Ooh. no, you should, uh, like, it's like, oh my God, she, they're like shocked. But I get it because I've been there, you know, I've been right? on sets where it's like that fashion director is like, you better shut up. You better not ask. Like, no one asked what you thought. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> no one wants your opinion. This isn't your set. And I think, again, I think there's a way to respectfully do it. You know, I think there's a way to, 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 to ask and to give feedback without seeming as though you're trying to, um, you know, one up your, yeah, yeah, take yeah. over and make it your shoot, you know? And, um, you know, so I'm, I always, I don't have any problem asking and it's just, <laughs> I don't get offended. I love it. You know, I, you know, I, I have to admit, um, one of the highlights of my fashion career was actually, um, uh, Ms. Goodman from Vogue uh, pull in person. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, she's here. Oh my God. <laughs> and you know, she had her signature look and she was looking at the Lord and Taylor, uh, cashmere. And she was looking at these cashmere pants and she looked at me and she said, Kirsten, what do you think? She held them both up. And I was like, oh <laughs> my God. She's asking me like it was like such a moment. I was like, yeah. okay, I'm like I'm good for life. Like, can't nobody tell me <laughs> nothing. It was yes. amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, so you have an amazing eye. You 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 always have the young folks around you, which I love. Is there anything else that you sort of reference, you know, when it comes to having the eye, like, you know, coming up with these stories, like, where are you getting, like, do you get your inspiration from life, TV, people, like, like, it's, I almost feel like it's a designer, like every season they're (laughs) doing, I'm like, I don't know how these people keep coming up with good ideas. Like, how do you keep coming up with these ideas? as an editor, like we're going to do this story this month. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's all of those things that you mentioned. I think, um, you know, it, it, it starts for me. I think if it starts with, um, with what you're seeing on the runways and what the designers are putting out, but it's also really rooted in the streets and what's, what's happening with street style. So a lot of it is like, for me, you know, kind of like looking at what the kids are wearing, looking at what the trends are, looking at how people are putting things together and the emotion that kind of comes around that. And then it's looking at what walks down the runway and what some of the major trends are that designers are, um, you know, leaning into for the seasons. Um, and then it, and then it's kind of this collaboration of, you know, working with, working with the team. Um, you know, when I was at Ebony and Essence and I was a fashion director there, um, you know, let's say we had a celebrity that we were shooting for a cover, that process could go a lot of different ways. So it, first it would start from, you know, what, what is it that they're promoting? You know, is there a film that they're coming out with that they're promoting that has a specific theme? Or is there, you know, are they at this transformative kind of moment in their life where they're telling the story, um, they're sharing a story with readers about, some, you know, revelation or transformation that they've had. And we want to find a way to do that visually. Um, one example that I can think of um, when I was at Ebony and I was a fashion and beauty director there, we had a shoot with Alicia Keys oh. and it was, um, it was right around the time how, when she first started doing that, her whole like no makeup look that she's been doing wow. that for several years. Um, but when she first kind of 
started with that look, it, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of like, you know, if she doesn't want to wear makeup, what's the big deal? But it was a big deal at the time. You know, she's an A-list star. You know, Hollywood is all about the glitz and glam. You know, she had a very perfectly kind of like quaffed and curated image before that. And she was coming out with new music and the whole like, you know, the whole vision around her new sound and her new look was around transformation and metamorphosis that she was at this kind of phase in her life where she felt like she was the freest that she had ever been. Um, Not only with what she could do musically, but also spiritually and personally where she was in her life, you know, as a mom and, you know, wearing all of these hats. Um, You know, a lot of her story at that moment was about her kind of coming out in this space of being more free and not being, you know, kind of constricted by um, the industry standards. And so part of that for her was kind of letting go of the traditional thoughts of what is beautiful. So she wanted to show herself without makeup. She wanted to show herself with natural hair, you know, her textured tresses, you know, and just celebrate her as she um, was. And it also meant a lot to her too, because she talks about how she had, um, you know, battles with her skin when she was younger and went through acne and things like that, which all of us go through. But when you're doing that in the public eye, you know, people can be so cruel. So it was also really um, very freeing for her to kind of show herself, you know, without makeup, with whatever acne scars she may have had and just bearing all. And that was a narrative that she really wanted to come across and wanted to have come across in her cover story with Ebony. So for me as the fashion director, you know, I said, okay, well, what does that mean in terms of the visual? You know, um, we're not going to just do this glitzy, you know, shiny glitzy shoot with her where she's all done up if she's saying that's not where she is and the story that the writer is going to be telling is about this transformation and her bearing her soul so how can we come up with a visual around that so for me um it was less about the clothes and more about the vibe and the feeling that that shoot could evoke so um you know i pull from all kinds of weird inspiration and one of my favorite movies is the film the last dragon which was a movie from the 80s about this black guy named bruce leroy who was like yes. this big, you know he was like a big fan of like the kung fu movies from back in the day he was a huge martial arts fan and in his movie in the movie he's on the search to find this thing called the glow and the glow wow. when he when he when he kind of manifests his highest level of you know spiritual alignment he can get this thing called the glow where he's this untouchable fighter where he can and he can defeat anyone so that's amazing yes and vanity was in it and it had all these fashion (laughs) so um so i you know so it's one of my favorite movies and i was just like when i when i when she you know when we were met with her team they kept talking about like transformation and like metamorphosis i was like oh my god the last dragon it's all about the glow yeah we got to find a way to bring that and then at ebony being a publication that is targeting the black audience i was like this is a film that's also deeply rooted in in the culture this is a film that had an all-black cast it starred vanity and all of these amazing actors and so this is a film that like for black culture people could, there would also be another layer there of saying that this, the inspiration was about that film, you know? Um, 
So I wanted to have that kind of be a narrative of the story as well. And Alicia's team loved it. She loved the film. She said it was one of her favorites. And she's like, oh my God, the glow. That's like, <laughs> where else? What other magazine would, you know, be like, we're going to do an inspiration that. by The Last Dragon. You know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of editors may not, never have even heard of that film, you know, because it's kind of like a cult, cult classic. And um, yeah, and so that was the inspiration. And it started from me kind of like pulling still life images of the, from the film screenshots. And there's this scene at the end when Bruce Leroy, he gets the glow and he's surrounded by this kind of like this glow, this light energy that surrounds his body. And he kind of reaches his next highest plateau of, you know, of spiritual alignment. And so I was like, we got to find a way to kind of play, show that visually. And so, um, you know, I found online, I found this um, graphic designer who was actually based in Brazil and he had all of these really cool visuals that he created where it played with this kind of this idea of like light energy and metamorphosis and transformation. And I was like, oh my God, he'd be perfect. So we did this, this photo shoot with Alicia in her natural hair, big curls, um, you know, clean skin, um, the clothes were all just like very free, free flowing and minimalistic. Um, we shot it in a studio on a white background. And then we in post had this graphic designer do all these cool treatments uh. where he made it look like she was transforming. Literally, it looked like she was, you know, metamorphosizing and transforming and floating and kind of defying gravity and the elements. And it was just really, really cool. It was really different for Ebony because Ebony is known as a fashion magazine. So we really wanted to kind of push the bar and do something visually that was different. And then for Alicia, she loved it because it really spoke to where she was at the time. So, um, yeah, so I think it's all of those things. That story was less about a trend. It wasn't about Uh. the fashion and, and what was happening down the runway. It started first with the subject and the story that they wanted to tell. And then for, from there, my, my job as the fashion director and creative, creative director was to say, what's the visual story that we can create around that to, you know, have there be that synergy. And, um, and then wow. it's just a team effort of kind of getting the right photographer that could get the visuals we want, getting the hair and makeup team that could create the look that we want, getting the graphic designer, pulling the clothes that made sense. Um, and, and all of those things. And, you know, so it really starts, it's, it's not necessarily driven by a specific trend. It, it really kind of depends on the subject. Um, but, you know, the subject a lot of times is what inspires the story. You know, I'm inspired first by who we're shooting and, and what, what the message is that they want to, you know, show. And then um, we kind of work in reverse and say, okay, well, then this is the fashion that needs to go with that. I think wow. today's, today's time is less about when it comes to style. I think as a fashion editor, it's, it's less about trends. I don't think people really dress in terms of trends. It's about how they feel and where they are in life. So that kind of informs a lot of the ideas. And then I kind of go backwards and say like, okay, well, what are the pieces clothing wise that make sense here? Honestly, like I'm going to go back and watch that movie. (laughs) Probably like this weekend. It's one of my favorites. Like immediately. Like it sounds, I mean, I'm seeing so many metaphors up in there. I'm like, oh my God. So what was it like, you know, working for, you know, white you know predominantly white magazines and making the shift over to like the essence of the ebony's like what was that transition like yeah, for it you was a, it was a big transition um 
So the Essence and the Ebony's and the Jets and those publications would be called kind of like, uh, those would be dubbed like multicultural publications. And then, um, you know, the allures and the glamours and the vanity fairs of the world would be called, they'd be categorized as like general market. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started the first 10 years of my career, I, I was in general market. I was in um, I worked at those fashion publications and worked at Condé Nast and Hearst and kind of worked my way up through the years at different magazines. Um, but to be honest, part of why I left and decided to, to, to make the transition to Ebony and, and Essence was because I wasn't moving up in the way that my counterparts were. You know, I had been, um, you know, working, you know, for 10 years at that point in my career. And um, at that point, I think I was like an associate editor or... Um, I think I was an associate editor or maybe like a market editor. Um, and I, I was a market editor. Yeah, I was a market editor at that time. Um, but peers of mine that had been, you know, at other publications, white peers of mine that had been at other, other publications were directors already at this point. And like I said, this was pre the digital age. So there wasn't really the space to like, there weren't all of the digital outlets to go to and jump to to get the higher titles. And the way you move up in this business is to, to get the titles, you know, like you, the title is a bartering tool. And, um, you know, and I was just kind of like, I'm not going to sit here as a slave making nothing, (laughs) making pennies, (laughs) you know, at Condé Nast first, you know, for for 10, 15 years. And like, like, you know, living in New York where it's expensive and I don't have rich parents that are paying my bills, you know, like, you know, it was a hard decision because I was always a fashion girl. So for, to me, um, that meant be at a fashion magazine. You know, you want to be at a top fashion publication to make your mark. Um, that was what I, what I thought was the only way at that time, you know, if you want to make your mark in fashion, you need to be at a top fashion magazine. That means you need to be at a Vogue, you need to be at an L or Harper's Bazaar. That's where you need to be. And so because Condé Nast and Hearst were so hard to get into, you know, once I got in, I was just like, I'm not leaving because it, it was hard enough to get in. And once you yep. leave, it's, it's hard to go back. But again, like I said, I wasn't moving up in the way that I wanted to. And, you know, I wanted to get higher titles, you know, and there was an opportunity. Um, the first opportunity was for me to come to Essence at the time as senior fashion editor. And, um, and it was a hard decision because, like, I, I was a fashion girl and I wanted to be at a fashion magazine, not a lifestyle magazine. Right. In Essence, a lifestyle magazine. Um, and so I didn't know that I would have the same freedom to, to, to create in the way that I wanted to, you know, those Ebony and Essence weren't traditionally magazines where you would look in those sections and see like a woman floating in the fashion pages, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) some crazy avant-garde couture look that you could pull Mm -hmm. because it was a lifestyle magazine. And there were a lot of limitations around what they thought our audience would want and what people would, would receive. And, Oh, it was um, great. I was like, go Mary (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but I I felt like, you know, (laughs) if I, if I go there, am I going to be able to do the work that I want to do? Or am I not going to be able to really be creative? But then I was like, you know what, like, if they're going to offer me this title, I'm going to take, you know, working at Hearst and Condé was great because I was able to develop a wealth of contacts that I wouldn't frankly have had probably had I started out um, on the other side of the Ebony's and Essences. Not because the publications are lesser, but because mm-hmm. publicists don't work with those publications in the same way. And I learned that when I made the transition. When I left 
um, Condé Nast and Hearst and went to Essence as senior fashion editor, um, I had a wealth of contacts. I worked with every major publicist, you know, was going to all the shows. And then when I went to Essence, they were cover shoots. Um, the first time when I was at Essence, I went there and we had cover shoots and publicists would say, sorry, we can't accommodate you. You know, wow. and the same thing happened when I left Essence and went to Ebony and became the fashion director there. Um, it was, and you know, I get it if it's not an A-list celebrity, but right. knowing what I know, I wouldn't even reach out to a luxury brand if it was someone that was not of a certain caliber of talent. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Because there's a hierarchy of who certain brands work with. That's just the politics um, in fashion. But um, but when I when I went to you know Essence and, and then later Ebony. Um, you know, there, these would be A-list celebrities. Let's say like, you know, Kerry Washington could have been on the cover uh, of Vogue a month yeah, ago. Yeah. And then now we're shooting her for this cover, Kerry Washington as well, mm-hmm. for the cover of Ebony. And, you know, she was on the cover of Vogue wearing, you know, I don't know, said luxury brand. And that same brand, I would reach out to and say, hey, you know, we're styling Kerry for the cover. I want to pull from you. And they'd be like, sorry, we can't accommodate you. And I'm oh, like, Lord. you just dressed her for Vogue. Now you can't dress her for for, for Ebony. This is the same celebrity. She's still yeah. a minister. She's still someone that you're, you're, you know, styling for red carpets and for covers. Now you can't style her. So it was clear that it was just because it was the outlet. It wasn't that it was Kerry. It was that it was Kerry for Ebony, you know? Mm. So... You know, there were a lot of uncomfortable conversations that I would have to have. You know, I would call brands out and say, so you're saying that the black audience doesn't matter to you? Because in a lot of these cases, Ebony's um, reader, um, Ebony's reader base and subscriptions were a lot bigger than a lot of these niche publications that they were loaning to. She would be, you know, celebrities would be on covers for, you know, niche fashion publications that would have a very small readership. But Ebony's multi-million readership was way more and they're not loaning to them for the same celebrity, you know? So, or when they would loan, they would come around and be like, okay, we can give you some looks, but you're giving me like the scraps. You're not giving me the runway look. You're giving me like the commercial pieces that no one's using. Mm. You're giving me like, you know, not cover caliber stuff, you know? And, um, you know, and a lot of those, those brands weren't advertising with Ebony and Essence anyway, um, and a lot mm-hmm. of times, um, you know, when you're an editor, a lot of times part of who make gets the covers, the brands that gets that get on the cover are people who are who's advertising with the brand. Right. There's the politics of that. You need to give them certain credits because they're paying for the magazine. They're paying for advertising pages. Wow. But at Ebony and Essence, I'm like, they're not advertising with us anyway. So why am I killing myself to try to give them credits, you know, with these celebrities when they don't even want to accommodate us properly? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what? if they don't want to, you know. If they don't want to loan to us, forget them. I'm not going to pull for them. Instead, I'm going to pull from black designers who a lot of times, a lot of the times, have pieces that were, you know, way, way on the same level, if not better, than a lot of you know these luxury brands, and could frankly benefit from having that kind of publicity yeah. way more than those luxury brands would. You know, there were times that I would I would be giving major credits, cover credits to top luxury houses. And they would send me these amazing, oh my God, Marielle, like 
Thank you so much for our credit on Carrie. Like we love, we love that Carrie what wore it. We wore it, love the Angela Bassett wore it, whatever, you know, A-list celebrity. And then when, when fashion week comes around and it's time for the show, you don't want to give me a ticket to the show or yeah. you want to give me, or you want to give me a standing room ticket to the show. Ah, and I'm like, yeah, you want to give me a standing <laughs> ticket to the show or be like, we can't accommodate you, but I'm giving you all these credits of, yeah. of celebrities wearing your stuff. So I'm like, you know what? If they're not going to give us the respect for the, you know, at the time when I was at Ebony, I mean, Ebony was celebrating its 70th anniversary. So I'm like, if you're not going to give us the respect of being this 70 year old cultural institution, then screw you. I'm going to highlight the brands that support us and use this as an opportunity to showcase black designers because a lot of these black designers will never get to have their pieces worn on these celebrities. You know, it's, it's changed a lot now. There are a lot more black stylists. So and black stylists are working. Exactly. But back uh-huh. then, we were pulling from all the black brands and giving them all the credits and everything. And now, you know, you pull up the cover of Vogue. I mean, every major fashion publication right now is working with all black crews. They're working with black stylists, black photographers. Wow. They're putting, they're putting um, these celebrities in black designers. You know, I was looking at the cover of InStyle with... Zendaya and she's, you know, Law Roacher oh. stylist, put her in all black designer. She's wearing, oh, law. you know, Hanifa and all of these yeah. great designers, you know, for the cover of InStyle. But this is stuff we were doing at Ebony and Essence all the time. And, you know, even this idea of like, you know, work, walking onto an all black set, people are raving about it now. I'm like, that was every day. Like, been doing it. You know, been doing it, you know? Yeah. And, and it wasn't, you know, why is that even a thing? Like, it's, you know, why is that even a thing? At the end of the day, we're the ones creating the trends. We are the ones setting all the, the trends in hair and beauty, you know, killing it. So why is it so, you know, crazy to walk onto a set and be on a set with all Black creatives? And so, you know, black, young Black photographers that we were shooting with back then are now getting covers for, you know, these major fashion publications and it's great. Um, but back then they weren't getting a cover with anyone except Ebony or Essence, you know? And so, you know, I hope that what's happening now continues, um, and is not just, you know, kind of a trend, but a lot of, you know, what we were doing was about necessity. You know, when I started out, you know, I too, I was sipping on the fashion Kool-Aid wanting to pull from, you know, all of these high Absolutely. Oh, you know, I got this couture look and I'm our last, honey. But then once I got in and saw how biased a lot of these brands were and that they really didn't care about us and that they didn't want to loan to us and that they're giving us the scraps and not accommodating us at shows, I, you know, the, the veil was quickly removed. Mm. And when I was in a position where I was now a fashion director and could kind of call the shots now and decide for myself what I wanted, who I wanted to showcase and who I wanted to give cover credits to, I, you know, said, you know what, like, we don't need to, you know, chase after them for, you know, the, the, the cosign, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we're gonna, we're gonna go out here and we're gonna push the envelope and we're gonna highlight black creatives and give, you know, an, an outlet to black designers. And, you know, and a lot of people, you know, would see the images and, you know, we, we did a lot of great work because people were talking a lot about the covers we were doing and how they just were different for Ebony in essence, you know, absolutely. these were publications that, you know, we grew up on and they're like a, a, a cultural institution. And so to be, get a chance to go into those kind of brands and like reshape what people are seeing and, and create something new, that for me ended up being more rewarding than the cachet of saying like, oh, I'm at Condé Nast or at Hearst, where you can't really 
it's hard to really make your mark and change things, you know, mm-hmm. as a black woman at those brands back then, especially, you know, I think it's changing now, but back then it was like, you, you really couldn't have as much of a voice. And I was able to, to, to go to, you know, Ebony and Essence and be able to really, you know, create things and, 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 and have a voice there in, in ways that I couldn't at um, the larger, you know, mainstream fashion publications. That is beautiful. I mean, it seems like, oh, all it took was a pandemic and, <laughs> I know. you know, a bunch of rioting and, you know, protests. People but hey. blast. I mean, you know, cause thing, we're here. well, the thing was, it's like, you know, with the, with the pandemic, I mean, people were suffering in silence because yeah. the, um, I think it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of different things. I think that, you know, there's a lot more opportunity now than there was back then. Um, like I said, with digital and, you know, um, even on the brand side, there are, you know, editorial positions on the brand. Like everyone is moving into content now. So there's a, such a wide range of, of opportunities for you to kind of insert yourself in now before just being at a print publication. And so I think it kind of, you know, people are not as afraid, you know, first off, there are a lot more black girls and black, you know, um, creatives in the industry that are working at these publications and at these digital outlets. And um, I think, you know, with that larger community, you feel like there's more of you, you feel like you're more supported. Um, And then the timing, it was just kind of like, look, (laughs) what more, you know, we're going to just come for everybody because it's it's long overdue, you know, but back then... (laughs) Oh, like, no way. it was just like, I was just happy to have a job. So you just kind of suffer, like, I'll be, you just suffer in silence. So you sit yeah. there, you deal with the crazy comments, all of the, you know, ignorant, you know, statements, all of the ridiculous yeah. things that happen behind the scenes. You just kind of go along with it and accept it as just, this is part of the culture. And if I want to work at these brands, like, I just got to play nice. I got to go along with it, yeah. you know even the disparities in pay and all the things you don't even want to ask for anything because you're just happy to be there. You know, I found, I remember coming in and finding out way after the fact that like girls that I know were, you know, in the same job were making like way, way, way yeah. more than me, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I would, I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare ask for anything more. Cause yeah. I just like, I didn't want to ruffle feathers and I was just happy to be there because I felt like I'm one of the few, especially back then being one of the few black girls, you know, Daisy was one of them, you know, Daisy was at Glamour, you know, it it was like, you better girl. Yeah. If you're trying to be here, you don't want to mess it up. (laughs) So you just kind of go along with it and like, you know, hope for the best and you hope that, you know, you can eventually move up. And then when you move up, you can make your mark and do your part to change things, you know. But I, wow. I realized, you know, after 10 years at Condé that I could either just be sitting around waiting to see if maybe I get my shot or, you know, but who knows when that could happen, you know. And I was right. just like, no, I'm not going to just sit it out. And, you know, and then the kind of the mystique and all the allure of it started to quickly wane. And I realized it wasn't, you know, there were, there was more than just this. Yeah. It was more than what I thought, you know, I had such a very, you know, a lot of tunnel vision with what I thought the opportunities were if I wanted to work yeah. in fashion. And then I realized I could do so much more and really have more impact. It became yeah. more than just about, you know, creating these images and, you know, especially at Ebony and Essence in seeing kind of the reaction that people had to the, the, the shoots that we were doing and, being okay. able to have cultural conversations with the, with 
with photos. I mean, we did this one cover um, where it was a fashion cover where we shot all these black models, but they were all walks of life. We had, you know, models of different um, sizes, plus size. We had, you know, um, we had uh, DeAndre Forrest. We had um, Winnie Harlow. You know, we had all kind of facets of beauty, um, all shades, hair types, everything. We shot them in all black designers. And it was just a moment. And it was like, you know, we are here, you know, and um, you know, and then later on, you know, Ebony is, is, a, is a magazine that talks about the issues. So there were different covers that we had to execute that were politically charged. Mm. And so then it was like, okay, well, how do we create that story? How does fashion play a role in telling this story that matters to us? Um, I remember for Ebony's 70th anniversary, we did a cover with um, this was around, uh, this was around the whole like Trayvon Martin and all of that. Uh. And we did this cover with Harry Belafonte. Oh, he looked um, yeah, it was like Harry Belafonte, Zendaya, and Jesse Williams. And we wanted to have, you know, um, black folks black folks from ge- different generations who have used their platform to speak out on different issues. And, um, you know, Zendaya was someone at the time who had dubbed as someone who, you know, represented the next generation. And this girl, even though she was super young, was unafraid. Around, I think around that time, that was when she had the whole run-in with Juliana Rancic. Ah, uh, yeah. She wore the locks. Um, she wore the faux locks. And yeah. her, they, she was talking about her hair. And Zendaya spoke out about that and wasn't afraid to challenge, you know, this high-profile TV personality at such a young age. Um, Jesse Williams, who has, you know, used his art and his platform to speak out. And then, you know, of course, you know, Harry Belafonte, who even in his uh, 90s is still, you know such a leader for the culture and um you know and we did this great visual where it was kind of a play on the black panther movement they were all black they wore black leather zendaya wore the beret and you know so there were cool Wait, did elements did you get a hug from harry did you I get a did. hug <laughs> yes got hug got pictures yes, honey you know yeah <laughs> so you know so those, so those are the moments where it, it had even more meaning for me working with our legends, you yeah. know, working with people that like have like literally changed the culture, you know, um, that I just, it meant more to me than just like any couture dress that I could throw on a model, you know? Um, and so that, that was really where I kind of started to see that, um, I could make an impact in my own way, you know, and that kind of informed everything that I wanted to do from that point on later on. Um, I, after leaving Ebony, I went back to Essence as fashion director and started an initiative called Fashion House there. Um, that was really about empowering black designers and black creatives in fashion, you know, just in going to fashion shows throughout the years. I mean, you know how it is. It's invite only. Um, it's not something that outsiders can go to. Um, and you know, for any young black creatives that want to work in the industry, you know, if you don't know anyone, you can't even get your foot in the door. And I wanted to create Fashion House as a platform that allowed us to be able to get in. You know, it was an event that was free of charge. They could come and not only um, witness fashion shows, but we had panel discussions with different Black creatives in fashion from stylists and photographers to, um, you know, to, to, to all kinds of behind the scenes people that touch fashion um, we had a fully shoppable marketplace where you could go and actually, you know, support um, Black-owned brands and buy their pieces. And um, the runway piece really meant a lot because, you know, again, Fashion Week is very political. You know, it costs 
thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars yeah. to produce these shows. <laughs> yeah. And if you're a new designer, you don't have that kind of capital. And, you know, and then even if you're able to somehow strum up the money, getting the right people to come to the shows, you know, um, trying to connect with buyers and people that can actually help you build your brand. Um, it's not worthwhile for a lot of young brands to spend that kind of money and not really get the return on the investment. So Fashion House was this platform where, you know, we would invite designers, say like, you don't have, don't just show up with your clothes. We're wow. going to give you models. We'll give you hair and makeup. We'll, pr- we'll produce it for you. We'll give wow. you a form to show. All you need to do is bring your clothes and we will, you know, market it. We even had a VIP hour that we invited buyers to where they could meet with the designers and make those connections that they're not able to make on their own. And, you know, in a year of being there, we did three of them. You know, we also want, we did them in different cities. We did them at, um, we did it in New York during Fashion Week twice. We brought it to New Orleans at Essence Festival. And then I brought it to Nigeria um, to Lagos Fashion Week and, and wow. pulled from a lot of African designers, which was great. So, you know, I really also wanted to kind of lean into this global audience, yeah. you know, of Black folks. Um, and working at Ebony and Essence, I always felt like a lot of the content was very Black American focused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being someone who also has Caribbean descent, I was like, well, you know, but our stories are so nuanced and our backgrounds are so nuanced. And what about those of us in the Caribbean? What about those of us in South America? What about those of us in Europe? What about those of us on the continent? You know, there needs to be more connectivity. You know, there's a massive global audience of black folks. And if we could really lean into that, imagine what a force we could be. So a lot of it for me was about also like reaching out into this global audience and highlighting black creatives throughout the diaspora, not just based here in America, but all over the world and kind of, leaning into this kind of global community of fashion. Yeah, totally random question, but who are you into? Like, who are some of your favorite, like, designers abroad? I have my list. I know you're like, that wasn't on the, that wasn't (laughs) on the question list, Garrison. No, 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 no. That's such a hard question. That's such a hard question. I love me some Christy Brown. And Chris I love Mexosa. I was so love excited Mexosa. to see him. Oh my God. I'm like yes. obsessed. Watch out, Missoni. Watch yes. out. One of my, another one of my fav- favorites, I would say, is a great designer named Loza Maliombo. She oh, is um, from the Ivory Coast. And the little gold, um, gold um, Yeah, she does those mask like kind of like mask emblems that she puts. Beyonce was wearing yes, yes. black as king. Yes. I was like, oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was so exciting to see that video because so many of those brands were brands that we have been working with and pulling for a long time. And it was just exciting to see them on such a, you know, such a massive scale and to see them get the love that they that they deserve. Because, you know, it's it's a struggle for any young designer, but especially especially for black designers, they just don't get the the support or visibility. So to to have your pieces worn on such a massive scale with such a megastar, you Wild. know, I just hope that for all of those brands that it just continues to, to bring them, you know, so much more visibility and success and that people, you know, really start to, to, to give them their props because they're doing some really amazing things, you know, even, even this whole idea of like sustainable fashion, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the African brands, they're rooted in the sustainability, you know, wow. a lot of their manufacturing practices. Um, it's all about, you know, designing in smaller quantities. A lot of it is a lot of handwork and beadwork. 
Um, so a lot of African companies um, by nature are sustainably run. So I'm hoping that even within that, as, as people are thinking more about the environment and more ethical production practices, that there's space there for a lot of the African brands that have been doing it for a long time to, wow. to really come to the forefront also. So, you know, I have to ask you, what are you up to now? Where are you? What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> per usual. I'm doing a lot. Um, I'm co- I've been consulting. It's exciting because actually when I started at, um, when I started doing Fashion House at Essence, um, it was kind of like this passion project that I had, you know, after just kind of like being around and saying like, you know, black designers, they just don't have a space. Um, you know, really Brandis in Harlem's Fashion Row was, yeah. was, was like the, the space that was carved out for Black designers. But I just really felt like there was no major publication that was also kind of taking that on. And I'm, I'm like, Essence, you know, this is the magazine where, you know, the, 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 the tagline is where Black women come first. Mm. And I said, you know, we have to do more to be entrenched in fashion. Black, you know, for black women, fashion is no, we love part of who it. we are. We love it. Yeah. yeah, and it's like we gotta do more it's with our thing. <laughs> so, you know, so we you know dreamt up this idea of creating the event. And but through doing that, um, it turned into a lot of brands outside of what I was doing with Fashion House saying, like, you know, just needing nurturing and needing direction as far as creative vision, mm. you know. For a lot of these designers, they just don't even know what they should be doing. You know, again, they don't have the resources. They don't have a network of people to consult with and to kind of guide them. And there are certain things that we as editors know that are going to resonate for, with brands. You know, basic things like this is you need to have a lookbook. This is what it should look like. A lookbook? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, then they do the lookbook and the, the, the lookbook looks kind of bootleg. The yeah. models, you know, the, the lighting. Not, yeah, the lighting is bad. <laughs> the models are not on the level. Wow. You know, like all of these things. But this matters because if it's not presented a certain way, you're not even going to be in the running. You know, you can't then send that to the buyer at Saks, the buyer at Net-A-Porter, the buyer at Macy's, and then expect them to want to take your collection seriously. So it starts from there, but they don't, a lot of them don't know these things and they don't wow. have the resources necessarily to be able to kind of do it on their own. So it kind of started from, you know, me working with a lot of folks, just, you know, pulling with these, pulling these brands through the years and knowing a lot of these designers, just, you know, supporting them, putting in them in the magazines. And then, when we created Fashion House, I said, you know, this is a platform where we can really directly connect them to the consumers because it was a, a consumer facing event. And we're introducing this whole audience to a whole realm of brands that they've never even heard of. A lot of, you know, most of the attendees had never heard of the brands that we were featuring, you know, wow. because they're small independent brands. Um, so from there, it turned into a lot of brands like kind of hitting me on the side, like, hey, you know, um, can you help me with this project? I'm trying to put together my website or, wow. or even basic things like what should my social media look like? You know, yeah. these things matter. And a lot of, you know, a lot of brands just don't know, you know, and they don't have the guidance of someone that could kind of direct them. So, um, yeah, so it kind of started with Fashion House and kind of turned into, you know, all of these <laughs> folks kind of, you know, coming to me. But it was something I was passionate about. So I was excited to, you know, kind of work with, work with them and consult. And then, you know, all of the civil unrest happened, you know, this year. Wow. And then it turned into a lot of larger brands reaching out and saying, what do we need to do? 
you know, and and me not only being a black woman, but having worked on both, um, at both mainstream general market publications and at publications that are specifically targeting the black audience. You know, a lot of, many of us in the industry don't have the experience of having been at both, you know, and I spent the first 10 years of my career, you know, at the Condé Nast and the Hearst. And then the second 10 years of my career has been in black media. Wow. So, you know, I realized they found a lot of value in that. And so then I had a lot of, you know, larger brands kind of coming to me and, and consulting on different diversity. Like, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, you know, out of panic, oh, like, we, yeah. need to, we need to do something. What do we do? We don't want to mess it. We don't want to mess it up even more. We don't want to mess it up. We don't want to mess it up anymore. So like, what do we need to do? So oh, you know, coming to me and, you know, in, in, in distress, yeah. <laughs> you know, looking for guidance and wanting direction on what they should be doing. So like wow. that has become a whole thing. And then, um, and then now I'm, I'm getting ready to start working on a new project that I can't, I can't quite get announced, okay. but you know, but there will be something we'll that keep our know, eyes open, something that I'll be announcing shortly that I'm excited about as well. So yeah. Right, so that's if what I, I see your it. face on the HBO show, Mariel, I can't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. I can't. You, Shiona. No. <laughs> Where's Rajni? I mean, the, Rajni. everyone is doing such amazing work. I mean, it's yeah, it's exciting. You know, I think, you know, this has been a difficult year and a difficult time yeah. for everyone. But I think that for those of us, you know, black women in the industry, I think like we feel even more empowered. We already knew we were fly, but yeah. literally now everyone is coming to us. Like if you are a black woman in fashion or a black woman in media right now, like you got the golden ticket. You know, that's so right. it's true. And it's like, I, I always kind of, I've always been a very wow. behind the scenes person and not someone that puts myself out there. And I do the work cause I, it's something I'm passionate about, but in my mind, I'm like, you know, nobody like, why would anyone want to come to me and ask me what I think? That's how I look. I'm just like, Oh, I'm wow. just doing my job, you know? Um, but in this moment with everything that's been going on, um, over the last, you know, this, this last, these last several months, it's really been, you know, it's just kind of empowered me even more, you know, to, to really kind of step into that space of like, no, you know what? Like, yeah, like, you know, I, I, there's a value that I bring that, you know, brands need to, yeah, you, yeah. It's about time. You do need to come yeah. to figure out what you need to do to get it together. Cause you have, y'all have not been doing it, <laughs> you know? And so this is a great time, like for black women in media, black uh. women in fashion, you know, it's exciting to see so many of us creating our own, our own platforms. You with this podcast and, I said, you why know, not? Why yeah, not? you know, but all of us story. work so hard, you know, yeah. just, I don't know. Not one black woman in the industry, media, fashion, who is still doing what they're doing and hasn't literally worked their tail off. Like, yeah, I mean, regardless of being passed up for a million promotions, not getting paid, you know, our worth, but it's like, you're good. That's why. So I'm glad that people are finally realizing, wow, you know, wow, these black women actually know what they're talking about because they work, you know, twice as hard as everyone yeah. else to stay here. So. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know? you know, we have to, we literally have to work twice as hard. You know, yeah. we have to do so much more than anyone. And that's an asset. I mean, absolutely. In these 20 years, I've done like every job. 
I've done every job you could think of. <laughs> and it's funny because when I talk to people, uh, you know, when you're in the moment, you're just kind of doing the job. You're not thinking yeah. about it. You just do what's needed, you know? And, um, but when I, when I talk about it to people and they're like, oh, so, you know, what do you do? Or they ask me about different aspects of my career. As I'm listening to myself, I'm like, it's a lot of what, you know, like I'm doing a lot. I'm wearing all the hats, you know? <laughs> and, and so are all the other black women I know too. Like we're all wearing all the hats and we don't have the luxury of being able to kind of just like sit on the sidelines and, you know, delegate or wait for opportunities to come to us. You know, we have to be proactive. We have to create opportunities for ourselves. We have to multitask. You know, you're, you're juggling so many things of trying to carve out your space, especially in this industry. And then you're just, dealing with like what it means to be a black woman and everything that comes with that, you know, and having the, having to also carry that with us while we're trying to navigate life and navigate what's a, what can be a very difficult industry that doesn't embrace, doesn't always embrace us. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky trying to kind of na- narrow, navigate your space and also, you know, wear all of these hats, but then not be deemed as the angry black woman or not. <laughs> You know, and so it's exciting to see like, you know, black women are just like owning their spaces, creating new spaces, Yeah. you know, and as I look at what everyone's been doing over this time, like, you know, I keep seeing new things popping up and I'm, I'm just like, yeah, like, go ahead. Yay! And, then, and then even just seeing all these appointments, I mean, like black women are Wild. getting major appoint, you know these major direct, not even just directors, but, you know, editor in chiefs and, you know, these major, you know, at, at this moment in time, I don't think that there's ever been this many black women heading up major brands in top C-suite roles in media and fashion than there's ever been. I mean, I feel like every time I, you know, look, there's, there's a new appointment being announced and it's, it's a, it's a woman of color. So it's exciting. You know, I feel like brands are, you know, there is a great reckoning happening and brands are realizing that they have to get it right. And they have to, um, you know, not only hire us, but hire us in positions where we can actually win and have say, you know, um, put us in senior roles where we can actually change the culture and, and make, you know, really, really do the work and, and make our imprint. And, um, you know, I just hope it continues, you know, I hope, I hope it, I hope it doesn't just end, you know, end this year and then go back to business as usual, even with the covers. I mean, it's like every cover is a black woman on the cover. And then it's not just only a black woman on the cover. It's a black. Open it. (laughs) And content, the stories, I mean. Advertising. I was like, what is Essence Magazine? But I feel like I'm. Stories. I mean, my, 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 my former cover you know, colleague at, um, at Essence, Julie Wilson, who's now yes. the beauty director, who's now the beauty director at Cosmo. Um, and it's so amazing. I mean, I was looking at the current issue and they did this amazing beauty story where she talks about all the head coverings that black women wear, um, to go to bed. And like all the black girls were like, yeah, stop it. Right. Yeah. And it was like, the, it was like the bonnet. Yeah. It was the the, sat, the silk scarf. <laughs> it was like all the stuff that we know, all the things that we know no. that like you never see in a mainstream general market wow. magazine. And so it, wild. you know, but this is what happens when you put black women in these roles because wow. that is part of beauty, you know. Sure and is every so day. Why, why would that not be a story that at some point would be told, you know? And yeah. um, 
But if you don't, you know, you have a black woman there that she knows that. And so she's going to say, this is, this is, we need to talk about this, you know? That's amazing. So, um, you know, so I'm just, looking that up too. I'm like, so it's like, these are, <laughs> these are the nuances. It, it just makes for a more interesting, I think it, it, it enhances it, it. It's a win across the board. Absolutely. You know, it, it makes, it makes the brands better. You know, it serves the readers. Um, and even if it's not something that is your reality, it's just good to know about it. You know, like, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's just interesting. I think, and I think as a as a storyteller, you need to know about all stories. It's not just about your story. You know, um, even as an editor, I mean, when I was at Ebony and I was a fashion and beauty director, um, I would go to beauty events. You know, that highlighted uh, products for women of all backgrounds. I didn't just go to the black hair care brand launches. I went to the launches for all hair types, you know, and, but a lot of the white beauty editors didn't necessarily go to the Carol's daughter launch or the, you know, Miss Jessie's launch or the, you know, black hair care brand launches. They would send, you know, the token black editor to cover it, you know, and I think you're doing yourself and the magazine a disservice. If you're a beauty editor, you need to know about beauty for all women. Yeah. You know, if you're a fashion editor, you need to know about all brands, you know, not just the luxury brands. You need to know all price points. You need to know uh, a range of, of, of designers from different backgrounds. You need to know all of it. If this is what you do, you need to have a wide scope. And in order to serve your reader, you need, you know, you're coming in and you're, you know, the, the, the magazine is basically this funnel of information that is being shaped by the editors. So if wow. you have an editor that has a very closed viewpoint, that's what you're going to see in the magazine. Wow. But if you have an editor that's coming in with a broad perspective, that's learning about all things, it's just, 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 it's just going to make for better content in the magazine and it's going to serve more women. Wow. It's going to serve more readers and people you know, are going to feel like they're reflected in the pages, which just creates a better experience overall. And I think that as journalists, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, whatever your piece in the cog is, whether you're creating the fashion, whether you're creating the beauty, whether you're writing the the features, you know, we all need to kind of approach it with a broad perspective. And I think people are being forced to do it now. Mm. You know, you're seeing a lot of editors that maybe never heard of these brands. <laughs> they're learning about 4C hair. Yeah, know? they're learning they're, now. They're, they're, learning about, they're learning about 4C hair. Yeah. They're learning, they're learning about how to take out tracks. They're learning yeah. about all this stuff that they never even thought about or considered. Or would just kind of toss it off to the to the you know the editor of color and have them be the one to write the story. But no, but yeah. if you're a good writer, you should be able to write about anything. And I think wow. it's it's challenging. Um, it's challenging editors to just be better, you know. And I think that that's a great thing. I love that. I love that. And you know, I knew I knew things were changing when I saw the St. John's ad, and they had two black girls with like braids, yeah, and like hoops. Yes. With their tweed. Yes. And I said, oh, oh my God. Well, number one, I was like, I want that outfit for next <laughs> spring. But I was like, is that a girl with like braids? Yes. I yep. mean, I have, and then Victoria Beckham, you know, London Fashion Week, um, you know, had some models with like natural hair. Yeah. London, Victoria yes. Beckham. I mean, I love me some Posh Spice, but <laughs> I was just totally just like, okay, this is a new day. Like, yeah. this is really I mean, happening. You know, represent- representation is everything. And I think um, as journalists, you know, you're, you're in a privileged position where you're able to shape culture through the work that we're creating, you know? The, the content and the stories we write and the, the shoots that we produce, that stuff is going to live on forever. 
you know, the, the work that we create is going to, it's going to live forever. You know, those stories, those pages, it's out there. And I think, you know, if people don't feel themselves represented, what does that say? You know, and I think for, you know, when you, like what you said with St. John, it's like, you know, St. John has always been a brand that's been positioned visually as a brand that's for a certain kind of woman, a certain kind of price point, a certain, you know, a cut from a certain cloth. And so to see a black woman with natural hair and a black woman with cornrows and two at that, not just a token one black girl, you know, it's that opens the pool of people who would now feel like, oh, maybe I am a, can be a St. John's consumer. You know, maybe that brand is for me. Um, so it's a win across the board. I think from, for brands, it opens them up to a whole pool of um, consumers that maybe they have been, you know, Xing out of the equation. And I think for, um, for the audience and for readers, it's, there's a sense of empowerment. There's a sense of validation and being able to open up that magazine and see yourself. You know, when I was a girl growing up and, you know, the only place that I saw myself was in Ebony and Essence. Um, and I got to see myself on occasion. You may see, see the token black girls here and there in the fashion magazines. Um, but it's great to now be able to look at those magazines and see us not just in the fashion pages on the inside of the book, but on the covers and, and all different shades of us and different body types and hair types and, you know, all of the different layers, you know, to us. And I think, um, you know, not just for black women, but for all women and, and especially women of color, you know, that's important. So I think, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this continues and that, you know, brands see the value in it. Because it's also good business. You know, if you want to just break it down to just like dollars and cents, which sadly, yeah. you know, we live in a capitalist society, so it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but it's also good for business, you know. Um, black women spend money, <laughs> you know, especially. I'm we spend money. it out right yes. now. We I spend got my money. eyes on a few items yeah. right now. <laughs> yes, we spend money. So, you yeah. know, why not market to us? Wow. You know, why not market to us? And beyond, you know, just Black women, just women in general and multicultural women. I mean, we live in a multicultural global society and, you know, the pages of the magazines and advertisements should be reflective of the world we live in. You know, we live in a global society and I think, you know, it's, 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 it's high time that, you know, brands get with the program. So I love it. Well, I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I'm excited to see it. I'm like, <laughs> let's do this. Yes. Um, so this is a fashion moment. And one thing that I like to end with all my guests is to ask them what their favorite fashion moment of all time, of all time. It, does, uh, it doesn't have to be, it, it can be personal or professional, or both, but just a moment that was just very magical for you in fashion? Hmm. Uh, such a hard question. <laughs> um, hmm. I would say, I'll pick a career moment. Um, my favorite fashion moment, professionally, I would say, um, was, it's hard because there's so many, but I would say at uh. Essence, at Essence, um, we did a cover shoot where it was, um, we did three covers and it was Iman, um, Sierra and, T and Tiana Taylor. Um, this was for Essence's, I think it was like the 25th anniversary of Essence Festival. Um, and we did this cover shoot um, where we wanted to celebrate black women from different ages and black women that we felt represented different things. 
Um, and first of all, being on set with Iman, like legend, you know, like that was just like, oh my God. Um, watching her, <laughs> watching her at work and how she moved and just like knew her body and her angles, you know, it was just, you know, a, a study in, in perfection. Um, but then I think the other favorite part of the shoot beyond also getting to work with Sierra and Tiana Taylor was just kind of the behind the scenes story of it. Um, we did that shoot. We were super last minute. As you know, because I'll be hitting you up all the time <laughs> with these last minute, you know, yes, trying to do would. This, You know. <laughs> so in true form, this was again la- last minute. Um, but it was um we wanted to really kind of push the global conversation around essence and speaking to black women throughout the diaspora. So it was important for me to have a range of designers um, that were really reflective of that. So we only had about three days to pull this shoot off and we shot it over two days. We shot it in New York and then we did a day of shooting in LA. And, um, but we had like two days to get all the clothes in. And when I say get all the clothes in, I mean, from London to Sweden to Ghana, to Nigeria, I, I, you know, we reached out to black designers from all over the globe. And it was basically like this last minute request, you know, hey, we're shooting Iman, Sierra, Tiana Taylor, um, but we need the stuff here in two days. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, a lot of these, these are small black brands, so they don't have the crazy budgets to be shipping stuff all over the world to New York. So we covered all of the, you know, shipping costs and, you know, but we even have brands were just so flattered and honored and just humbled to be considered and and wanted to have their pieces worn on Iman. So, I mean, I had designers that hand carried pieces that got (laughs) on planes. Like literally there was a designer that got on a plane and flew, flew her daughter from, uh, from Ghana to New York city to hand carry the pieces. <laughs> ah. She came and like met me at the fashion closet with the with the bags of clothes and Beautiful. you know. And so just kind of like that was a moment because of all of what went on behind the scenes. Beyond, you know, you know, obviously working with these, you know, amazing women, it was also um being able to celebrate black fashion and have this, you know, it was like that, that set was insane. I mean, we had like racks and we had maybe 40, 50 racks of clothes of all black designers. Wow. Um, you know, we also wanted to have a real conversation around black hair. So we dreamt up all of these, you know, you know, really special moments with hair and Iman, you know, we wanted to be a celebration of braids. So she had these like kind of like waist length braids. And, but then we said, how can we elevate them? And, you know, so her, her hairstylist, you know, went and added rings and circles and beads to the braids and it just was really cool. And then for um, Sierra, we wanted to do locks. So we did these faux locks on her and, you know, said, but how can we, you know, take them to the next level and, and really, you know, kind of elevate them and do something new. So then it was, you know, dreaming up, embellishments and things to do with the locks. And then for Tiana Taylor, it was all about the Afro. So we did this like gigantic Afro on her and, you know, but then not only was it about the hair, the texture of the hair, but then we also played around with jewelry and we took, you know, necklaces and put like a necklace in the Afro and put, you know, put earrings in the Afro. And, you know, it just was, you know, great because, you know, creatively what we were able to do with, you know, that shoot was just, you know, so amazing. And then 
you know, the images just came out so beautiful. Um, Tiana Taylor was there with her daughter, uh, and her husband, and, you know, so they had all these, you know, adorable moments on set and just kind of seeing this beautiful young Black family was great. And, um, and then, you know, we, we pulled it off in such a short amount of time. And then the, um, the cover ran during Essence Festival and we had it. It was like the visual, we used those visuals at all of the different events at Essence Festival. And, you know, um, attendees just responded so well to it and people loved it. And so that was like a big standout that I would say. But there, there are so many, you know, I would say the shoots that stand out have been the ones for me where I've gotten to work with a lot of our icons. Um, and then, you know, like there have been people like Denzel Washington. Woo! You know, Denzel. Denzel. <laughs> Did you get a hug from Denzel too? Of course. Oh! Yes. Um, Shaka so Khan. Oh. You know, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Did she hit a few notes on set? She did. <laughs> you know, Angela Bassett, the late and great Chadwick Boseman. I got oh. to call him for when he played, wow. um, when he played, uh, James Brown and the film Get On Up. I styled him for for Ebony. So, I mean, there there's so many, you know, amazing celebrities I've gotten to work with. And then there's just guerrilla style shoots. I mean, there was one shoot that I did. Um, I was, it was kind of impromptu. I was going to Nigeria for Lagos Fashion Week. And while I was there, I was just like, there's no way I can't be in Nigeria and not like do a shoot. But I had no team. I didn't have, I would, didn't have anyone with me. I was out there by myself. And I just found people. I just like, wow. you know, while I was going to the shows, you know, I met a young stylist and he ended up assisting me and helping me on set. Um, when I was, um, you know, he then, in, in, in fact, he then connected me to a photographer, a young, you know, Nigerian photographer. Um, you know, I pulled from all of, you know, the designers that were out there showing. Oh, and these were designers amazing. from throughout the continent. So that was great because um, we had designers from all over Africa, all different wow. countries. Um, and so I was like going to the shows and then I was running backstage, pulling the clothes off the models and being yeah. like, okay, I'm going to use that in my thank shoot. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Got that look, you know? And then the day of the shoot, you know, the models that we use were models from the shows. Like we wow. just did a casting. I was like, you, you, y'all going to be in the, you're going to be in the shoot tomorrow. And they're like, oh, great. You know? And then like the makeup and hair, it was like, wow. we pulled the makeup and hair styles that were working on it. It was like, you, you, you're going to do the makeup and hair tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> you know? And then, um, we shot very guerrilla style. We got like a van and we were like hopping out at different locations throughout Lagos. And we had, um, the model like got dressed in the back of the van and like, you Beautiful. know, we, we, you know, we just like hit the streets, but you know, it was super guerrilla style, but it was great. And the images came out stunning. And then it just wow. was exciting to get to work with a whole crew of creatives, you know, that, that, were international that I wouldn't yeah. have ordinarily gotten to connect with. And they were all super young and like, you know, it was just great. So that would be another moment. So I would say that um, Lagos, Nigeria shoot, because for the gorilla kind of nature of it and the fact that I got to work with this whole crew of like really, you know, young, the next kind of generation of visionaries. And then um, the other shoot that would be that Essence shoot with Iman, Sierra, and Tiana Taylor because it just wow. was so legendary and epic. And it was like a black, 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 blackity, black, black, blackity, blackity, black, 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 black,
and we were always validating each other and celebrating each other. And, and so those are, I would say, our two standouts. But there's, there's so many, but those would be my top, my top two. I love it. Thank you so much, Marielle, for being on the show. You are, I mean, just the course of your career is just so inspirational. And you are definitely one of the hardest working folks I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. That's that Haitian. That's that Haitian. I'm like, my (laughs) goodness. My dad dad had 50 jobs. So that's that Caribbean. Okay. Like, Marielle, hello. Hello. I'm still at the office, Kirsten. I'm like, of course you would be. Of course (laughs) you would be. Well, I hope during this time, you know, you're you're getting a a little rest. I'm sure you're you're still, you know, hitting the pavement and doing your thing. But you know, as always, you're always welcome on a fashion moment. You are always welcome back. And thank you. Thank you so much. for Well, thank you. I'm so proud of you and so excited for your podcast and so excited to have to have followed your journey as well and seen your growth and your transformation. And I'm super excited that you've decided to step out and do this. I think it's so long overdue and very needed. And uh, thank you for all your support through the years and all of your hard work because I know you've been out here grinding too. And I wish you continued success. And thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.